uh, Romans chapter number 5. We got down through about verse 11 last time, and we'll back up Romans 5 and kind of review this chapter up to this point. So he has covered, and I realize we say this just about every time, and it gets old to me. I hope it don't get old to you. But here the Lord has covered through this point the sinfulness and depravity and hopelessness of man, the Gentile and the religious. We've seen the work of God that brought redemption and salvation was in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. There was no work of the law. Nothing man could do to get out of that place. So God's own arm brought salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. We've seen that it's by faith and by faith alone. No work involved in this salvation. No credit to be given to man for accomplishing anything, but it's all the work of the hand of God. So he starts chapter 5 talking about the peace that the church has. Now you talk about a peace and a rest. You hear those words a lot. And you can see the natural picture of what it is to be at peace, to, to have peace and to be at rest. But now if this is a work, if this work as we've seen to this point was a God-accomplished work, the work's already been done. We're not waiting on God to do more for our salvation. God's already accomplished what needed to be accomplished. The work is finished. The church that's redeemed and in Christ Jesus, what have they got to worry about? I mean, are you going to worry that the Lord's going to lose you? That you're going to fall out of the Lord's hand? That He's not got what it takes to keep us? I don't have to worry about me goofing it up. And that would be a great fear if it depended on me. A continual worry, a continual trouble. But the church in Jesus Christ has got peace because their redemption is anchored in, not in me, but behind the veil in the work that the Lord Jesus Christ has already accomplished. And that peace, as he says in verse 2 and following, is in in times of good, in times of blessing, as we would say, and in times of tribulation and trouble and the trials as well. That the church, nothing can move the church from the peace that they have in Jesus Christ. And he'll cover that more in depth later on in this book. But they're secure and safe through all things that they can rejoice in a redemption when things are good in their natural life, when things are off the rails in their natural life, they've still got a peace in Christ Jesus that surpasses all knowledge, the Bible says. So he begins to talk about the love that God exhibited in Jesus Christ. We talked about all this last time. You remember that for a righteous man, for a good man, what great difficulty it would be for somebody to die in their place. Well, the Lord, when we were enemies and we were living opposed to Him and running from Him and mocking Him, the Lord died for us when we were in that condition. So if He did, if He did die for us when we were wicked, when we were rebellious, when we were hateful, towards Him, 
then now that He has died and He has adopted the church in, what, what wouldn't He do for His people, the church? And we'll look at that more later on in the book as well. But you talk about a peace. If the Lord's already done all that for us when we were His enemies, what wouldn't He do for us now that we're saved? Is He going to lose us? He died for us when we were enemies. So now in verse 12, so we've come to this place, the world is reconciled in verse 11, in God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom we have now received the atonement. So in Jesus was the atonement, the appeasement of the wrath of God, the bringing together, the restoration of man, all of that is found in Jesus Christ. You know, you might have a scoffer to ask this question. How can it be that one man's death, burial, and resurrection could bring forgiveness and mercy and assurance and peace unto all these people that believe? How can that come from one person? I think that's a natural thought, maybe. So he's going he's gonna to answer that in a way that you probably wouldn't expect and in maybe a way that you've never thought of before, but he's going to prove it with Scripture here. So verse 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So where did death the natural death of the body or the spiritual death in the wrath and the punishment of God, you know, we can trace that back. They're trying to trace where this virus started right now to get to the place, where did this come from? Well, we can do that with death. Do you know that? We can find the very place that death entered into humankind. We can find the place that death began its rule and reign of terror over all the seed of Adam. You know where it came from? One man. Adam sinned in the garden and death, I mean we're talking, some would say 6,000 or so years and that's a, that's a guesstimate, maybe an educated guesstimate. But for 6,000 years, death has reigned over every person that's ever lived. Everybody has this trouble. Everybody has died. And everybody is going to die. And you know, I, I don't know of any other reason other than to give us a space of time there between Adam and Noah. But we see all those long lives there between Adam and Noah, including Methuselah. 969 years. An incredible lifespan. Unreal. But he died. And all of man has died. And with all assurance, we're all going to die as well. That began with one man. One man's sin. One man's disobedience. One man's transgression brought sin upon all man. So, Let's just let's look at a few scriptures. First Corinthians fifteen. 
1 Corinthians 15, verse 21. We're going to see the same thing. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. So then, at what point do I become a sinner? Is God waiting on me to have understanding and for me to knowingly do something contrary to what I know to be right before I'm a sinner? We're, we're born that way. I've heard several say that. David says in Psalm 51, Greg read it, I believe Wednesday night, that I was born in sin, shapen in iniquity. In Proverbs, we could look at several places. Proverbs chapter 22. Let's just turn and read just a few places. Proverbs 22. Verse number 15. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Proverbs 29. Verse number 15. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. So there was wisdom enough in the Word of God. David knew he was born in sin. The writer of Proverbs says, you leave a kid to their own, trouble's going to come. Foolishness is bound in their heart and the rod, of, uh, the rod of correction will drive it from him. So this is not my sin and my guilt and death upon me. It's not dependent on whether I sin or not. You see that? I'm guilty before I ever sin. I'm guilty in Adam. Sin and death has passed upon all men from Adam until today. Now we say, well, now wait a minute. God's holding me accountable for something I didn't do? He is, isn't He? By the Scripture, you're guilty and you're guilty in Adam. He knows what you will Let's look. Let's look. For until the law, verse 13. Wait, let's, let's look at verse 12 just a little bit first. Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. We'll, we'll come back to that in just a minute. So in 13... For until the law, that word until, it means up to. So until the law was in the world, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. So you know, Adam, 
Adam received one commandment in the garden. What commandment did Adam receive in the garden? We all know. Of all the trees thou shalt eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat. In the day that you eat it, you shall die. That was Adam's one commandment. They broke that commandment. They broke the law. They became sinners. They became guilty. And by what we see from Adam until Moses, and we know this now, from Abraham to Moses was 430 years. But you've got Noah's day, the Tower of Babel, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. During all that span of time, I don't know that there was any other law given. Before the law, sin was still in the world. But where there's no law, sin's not imputed. Now that that word imputed, it means to reckon in, in the sense of an account. So there was no sin. Man was not aware of his sin before the law came. Remember, the law came to make man aware of his guilt and of his sin before God. But before the law, sin was not imputed nor reckoned. And yet, nevertheless, death reigned. Death reigned from Adam until Moses. Remember Methuselah? Methuselah died. Noah? Noah died. All the people outside of the ark in Noah's day, they died. All of the people that were in Sodom and Gomorrah, they died. Listen. Death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. So they had one law, don't eat the fruit of the tree, knowledge of good and evil. Adam broke it. Did anybody else break that? Those that hadn't sinned like Adam sinned, they were still guilty. And death still reigned. See this thought in man's head that these people are more wicked than me, therefore I'm in a better standing than they are. That is so incorrect because man's guilty in Adam himself and in Adam's transgression. And you know, Adam's sin was sufficient so that God could bring judgment in Noah's day before there was ever a law. Before God ever said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. Before God said, Thou shalt not steal. Sin was still in the world and death was still passed on upon all men. So, well, I've not broke many of the commandments and what few I've broke, I've not broken many times. Well, in Adam, you're still guilty. You know how I know that? You're going to die. You want to know how you know you're guilty? You're going to the graveyard. Death has been passed on. Well, I'm not a great sinner like these sinners in the world, but you're going to the same place that they are. You're going to die. They're going to bury your body. You're going to die and they're going to cremate your body. However it is, 
you're dying. And that's a sign that sin, sinfulness, and the guilt of Adam has been passed on to you. Well, the Lord Jesus died and He wasn't sinful. It's because He laid it down. No man can take it from me. But I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to take it up again. It's Jesus' own words. He laid His life down for our sin. So they hadn't sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. Who is the figure of Him that was to come? So death's still reigning even though there's no law. Sin's still present even though man doesn't have an understanding of how sinful that he is. Now, you say, well, God's judging people that had no knowledge. That's not 100% true. Do you reckon the people in Sodom knew that they were rebellious towards God? The people in Noah's day knew that judgment was coming and Noah was building an ark. He preached that very thing. So there was knowledge, but not like we've got today. So, after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure? So Adam is a figure, a type, a shadow, a parable of Him that was to come, of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we can look at Adam, and we can get a picture of the Savior from Him. Now, I realize, I realize it's opposites, but the picture's there. In 1 Corinthians 15, the same chapter we was in just a minute ago, he makes this comparison as well. Verse 45, And so it is written, The first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Howbeit that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. And I realize you can draw a parable from that of the natural man, the spiritual man in each and every one of us. But really he's talking about the people. That Adam was first and then Jesus. That Adam was the first Adam of the earth. Jesus was the second Adam the Lord from heaven. So let's look and go a little farther here. Verse 15, But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. So Adam's one deed... His one sin in the garden forever cursed all of mankind. And it's so sure and certain that I don't know if, if you've had children and they've grown any little bit, before they understand right and wrong, before they understand good and evil, they still don't want to do what you tell them. You know what that is? That's in them. You know what that is? That comes, that's not a result of something they've done. They don't know what they're doing. 
But that's a result of what Adam did in the garden. It's passed down from there unto all of mankind. And these children, the little ones, the littlest one in the house this morning, she's not got any hope of growing up and living without sin. None. The curse is already passed on to her. All of the seed of Adam is going to die because of Adam's single transgression. Sin is passed unto all of man because of Adam's single transgression. You can see pictures in the Old Testament where a tribe, they would have a prince that would represent them. Judah would have a prince that would represent them and speak for them, that would vote for them however you want to put it. Adam was our representative. And he failed. And therefore we all failed. And if you wanted to swap, you would have failed too. Don't be mad at Adam. Adam did exactly what you would have did. Adam sinned exactly like you would have sinned. But now, I want to say this. And let's be perfectly clear now. If this is true, this is the Word of God, then a free moral agent, there's no such thing. Well, we're free moral agents to choose. Not by the book. By the book, we're cursed in Adam. And it's passed down from us. I'm not free at the age of three to choose, you know, I'm not going to be a sinner. I'm going to do good my whole life. No, I'm going to sin. I'm going to sin at two. I'm going to rebel against my mom and daddy at two years old. And as I get bigger, I'm going to rebel against God. It's by nature. It's passed down. So who's going to choose to do the right thing? By the book, nobody's able to of their self. And if you want to say a free moral agent, the closest thing there ever was to a free moral agent was Adam. And Adam still sinned. Don't say much for mankind, does it? Mankind's not much. That's just the truth. So in Philippians chapter 3, Philippians 3, verse 21. Who shall change our vile body? What is the vile body? This is Adam's seed. This has got to be changed. Flesh and blood shall not inherit the kingdom of God. This man can't go to heaven. This is a vile body. This is a cursed body. This is a guilty body. This body has to die. Who shall change our vile body that it might be fashioned like unto His glorious body, according to the working whereby He is able to subdue all things unto Himself. So this body is going to be changed, as He says in 1 John, with a body like unto the Son of God's. I'm going to one day rid myself of all resemblance and relation to Adam, and the church, the born again, are going to be reborn in bodies like unto the Son of God. So that just like the sin that he's talking about in Romans 5 was passed down 
from Adam unto all of mankind. Righteousness is passed down. Grace is passed down. Holiness is passed down. Forgiveness is passed down unto all of those that seek forgiveness in Jesus Christ our Lord. Don't think it's strange that one man can bring redemption for all that believe. Because one man brought guilt on all of the seed, on all of the race. One man's deed, one man's failure, one man's sin cursed us all. It did. I know that that's, that's a, a big thought it is for me, we'll say. But that sin in the garden cursed us all and we all became sinners. I've said this before. We don't sin to become sinners. My boys are not sinning as they grow up to become a sinner one day. No, the sin we see from the little ones onward, the rebellion that we see, that comes out because they are sinners. They are. It's their nature. So let's look on. So also, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. So the transgression and the sin brought guilt to all of mankind. Well, if Adam's sin and his failure could condemn us all and all of man through history, then what about the Lord Jesus Christ? The God-man, the Lord from heaven in a body, His death, His sacrifice, and His resurrection and ascension back to God, could that not bring forgiveness for all of mankind? That's what he's saying. The figure, not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more by the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ. If there's ever been any thought of where salvation comes from, it's in and by and through one man and one man only, Jesus Christ. Your salvation is not of you in any way, shape, or form. You have not added one thing to your salvation. You've not improved your salvation. You've not made things better for you in your salvation. That was secured by one man, Jesus Christ. You know what we're going to get? I mean, he says we're co-heirs with Jesus Christ, an heir of God and a joint heir of Jesus. We've been brought in as sons of God. And our world today would say it's sexist. He don't say daughters of God. He don't say that in here. He says sons of God. And there's a reason for that. In the Old Testament... And the early New Testament times, and even still in that part of the world, women are not counted as anything. They're not at all. They didn't get an inheritance. They either married somebody 
or they were left with nothing. The sons got everything. That's why in Ephesians, he says in Jesus Christ, there's no male nor female. But we're all sons of God. We've all got an inheritance. We've all got a redemption. It's all equal between us. And we're going to receive what Jesus Christ is going to receive. All through one man and one man's work. The Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have to look to anything else. which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation. But the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. So Adam sinned once now, and that one sin was enough to get us where we are today. We're all guilty. We're all going to die. And everybody before us has died. True. I don't know what the oldest person is. There's, there's nobody alive today that's 120. I can say that with assurance. So you go 120 years back, there ain't nobody living back farther than that. They're all dead. One sin was enough to condemn everybody and bring us to this place. Well, what about the free gift of one, Jesus Christ, which is of many offenses? One transgression from Adam brought death upon all of man. My God, how many transgressions do we have? How many have you got personally in your life how many transgressions have you got from 10 years old to today? How many willful breaking of the law do you have from the young man, a young lady, until today? A lot more than Adam's one. You know, Adam's one sin was enough to put him out of the garden, a flaming sword set at the tree of life for them to never enter in. And i tell you what resulted from it. They saw their firstborn kill their other son. One sin led to all that. It did. And now here we say it with more than we could ever even think about in our mind. Transgressions and sins. Boy, what chance do we have? Well, that's how great the Lord Jesus' sacrifice was. It's of many offenses. The Lord Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient to cover every offense that we've committed from this day backwards and for every offense that we're going to commit from this day forwards. It's amazing to think what one sin done to the world. But my God, how much greater. Sin's, sin's got some power, doesn't it? Death ruled and reigned over man from that day in the garden till today. But the sacrifice of Jesus was enough not just to do away with one, but to do away with all of them. And not to do away with all of them that's mine, but to do away with all that would believe. And I, I want to say this right there. 
You hear this a lot. That whosoever will, turn your Bible and look. It does not say that God so loved the world that He gave His Son that whosoever will. That whosoever believeth. That's what the Bible says. My will hasn't got anything to do with it. It's not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that sheweth mercy. That's on down in the book of Romans. So Christ Jesus, in His sacrifice, was sufficient not for our sins only, but for the sin of the whole world. And we'll stop there. We're out of time. Maybe next time we'll have more time. We can put all this together. We'll walk through it and then we'll try to get it all together. We can see the picture. What a sacrifice that God made in Jesus Christ and how sufficient. My 